2: welcome to wood talk for woodworkers by woodworkers now here are three guys who if combined would make one hell of a woodworker
0: mark matt and shannon
1: hello everybody it is wood talk number 187 for is it 187 why am i thinking 188
2: I guess um, c- probably because I've been messing around with the uh, versions of these show notes. We're probably all the way back to two.
1: Okay, well, whatever we're in the
2: Wayback Machine right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, whatever episode it is, you're listening to that episode. And uh, on today's show, we're talking about epoxy inlays, bevels on through tenons, and also premium measuring tools. All that and more coming up. But before that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor that we don't have today. Uh, so let's make something up. Today's show is sponsored by. Matt's basement Mateo workshop in the of the night. <laughs> yes,
3: the show is sponsored by Episode 188.
1: That's true. Is it okay? It is 188. Nicely done. Yeah. Good correction yeah. after the fact. Thank you. Sure, And I should mention, uh, we mentioned it a couple times already on previous shows, but you can sign up for email notifications if you want to get your Wood Talk episode on directly in your inbox. Uh, and that's all we're going to use that for. You just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the left hand side and you're going to see a little sign up form. Just give us that email and we will send you a notification as soon as an episode is published. And that's pretty cool. And also, if you're there on that page, look on the left-hand side, and you'll see our recurring and one-time donation links. If you want to help support the show, because that kind of thing is always appreciated. Give us money; we like that. Mooey, mooey
2: appreciated.
1: That should be like a tagline for the show: "Give us money." <laughs> Give yeah. us money. It makes us happy. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's jump into what's on the bench. I had a lot going on. Uh, We missed last week. We had a one single topic show, but that means that we were off that week, so it's been actually a couple of weeks for the three of us. And I went to the Phoenix Comic Con, which was pretty awesome. It's getting bigger and bigger every year, and I was very surprised to see a woodworking tie-in while I was there. Now, have you guys seen that company, Geek Chic?
3: Yeah, yeah. Didn't they do that... um uh, game table we highlighted yep. on the show. Yeah, like, I think we highlighted last their year stuff sometime.
1: Uh huh. And they've been on Shark Tank on TV, and it mm-hmm. basically is uh, geek-oriented furniture, so gaming tables and comic book storage cabinets, and they make swords and like all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and these tables are really fantastic. Just if you if you are a gamer, I, the funny thing is I don't know how many gamers have enough money to afford a table like this. <laughs> right. Ultimately, uh, but yeah, it really, just I guess geeks who grew up is what. They this comes down to like who, <laughs> nice. who who could buy that kind of furniture and uh really beautiful stuff but at the very least you got to walk away from this inspired thinking like wow what a niche they found and they seem to be doing pretty well with it but i'm thinking i could use a really nice comic book storage cabinet so i don't know maybe that's that's in my future not not buying one making one <laughs> okay i'm like oh
2: well that's cool okay. they probably appreciate hearing that you're. yeah i'm
1: gonna, gonna, gonna save purchase. up my monies <laughs> and buy it myself <laughs>
3: Yeah, so so my comic book storage cabinet's called an iPad.
1: Uh Well, see, I still
3: digital people.
1: I still have quite a few, and I've got a lot of trade paperbacks. I do enjoy a good paper comic book once in a while, but I, I too have most of mine in a digital format.
3: In fact, I got a paper copy of Popular Woodworking today and I was like, I still get this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, maybe, maybe we we'll just size it up a little bit and people can use it as a uh, magazine storage cabinet too.
3: Put your vinyl in there.
1: There you go. Uh, the other thing I'm working on, of course, is the, the Morris chair still and that's kicking my butt because I, I looked at the time frame and this is, this is unusual for a guild project. Guild projects usually last about two months and this one is on a pace to Last like four months if I'm not careful, you know. And no I've matter oh, so you're taking a book
2: out of you know a page from my book, yeah. Where we work right. on projects,
3: right. this, is, this is called the bathroom uh, what, what was that? The bathroom uh cabinet, yes, yeah.
2: yeah. The uh, the seven month cap
1: bathroom cabinet. <laughs> well, something you get to cabinet. a point where it's like even if I could put out just a fantastic video every week from now until like September people will lose interest. Nobody wants to see the same project that many weeks in a row. So it was like, no matter what I do, I need to get this thing done sooner. So now I'm doing two episodes a week and and normally I lose a single day just for editing alone in my five-day work week. Well, now I'm losing two days for two different editing sessions and somehow I'm actually supposed to get more work work done with significantly less time. So I am going kind of crazy at this point and hopefully we'll be able to get to the finish line on this one pretty quickly but uh yeah hmm. just trying to keep my head on straight can, can oh, you hear really the world's
3: smallest song. violin playing for
1: you right now Shh, <laughs> Shut up. uh the other thing is puppy likes to pee in the shop oh nice
3: like been there too
1: <laughs> over and over and, and like and the thing is, she's really she's really good about going outside, and we've got her fairly well uh, conditioned and trained for for her age. And she hasn't gone in the house in, in probably you know six or seven days now. But sure enough, in the shop, I don't know what it is. She just that's gets in she there goes in the shop now. Yeah, she, it's her. It's apparently her shop, and she just goes and then runs away. She's like, nice. "Daddy loves it when I'm in here with him." <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I have to work on that a little bit because that's annoying. But hey, epoxy on the floor. I guess I'm safe, right? Exactly. It should be a lot easier to clean up. (laughs)
3: Yeah. Well, that actually makes a really
2: good segue, um, assuming you're done with what's on the benchmark.
3: Like the Um, thing
1: that you ride on? (laughs) Oh, I love
2: those things. I haven't tried it. I'm so afraid I'm going to flip right over the handlebars.
1: Scary stuff, but yes, I am done. Go ahead.
2: I almost rented one of those when I was in San Antonio. I was so close.
1: (laughs) You should have. They look cool. Yeah, I
3: should have. Anyway, I'm going through... uh, My shopper model and, you know, the reason I was playing the world's smallest violin is I think I've gotten maybe four hours to work on it in the last three weeks. So Uh. I don't want to hear about all this work you have to do in the shop. (laughs) But as I was tearing out bass cabinets, I uncovered um, some puppy pee that was probably
1: nine years old. Old puppy pee.
3: Boy, the smell that came out of there between dog toys, dog hair of two different dogs, one of which had passed away five years ago. Um, And uh, we used to keep the two of them in in the shop together because when Alex was a puppy, he would eat everything Mm -hmm. and did. You know, he he de-wired my table saw. See, Alex wanted me to go unplugged years ago
1: (laughs) because he unplugged
3: permanently my table saw, my scroll saw, my band saw, my joiner, and my planer. To the point where I put them all in armored cable so that he couldn't eat through them. <laughs> um, I found bits. I found a plug. I actually think it was the original plug to my Delta table saw stuck to the floor in what used to be a puddle. You know <laughs> that had flowed underneath the cabinet. Like, oh man, <laughs> it was just terrible. Love so me. yeah, there was a. Um, there's something about workshops and puppies. They they just they love it. I don't know. They figured the sawdust is already in the ground. So yeah, I guess so. You know, well I guess it's like that whole thing. They like to – up.
2: They like to chase limbs or, or branches and stuff, so it kind of makes sense.
1: Well, you figure there's a lot of smells in our shops, yeah. and just all the different wood species. And then once they go in there, and I, you know, if I didn't clean it up well enough, then you know, it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy at that. Point. Maybe there's it's like a like a, a
2: ghost. There's a ghost smell from the last time. Yeah, the last. I need dog some nature's miracle
1: done. up in this place. Is what <laughs> there I need. Mean. you go. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Sweet. Well, good deal. All right. Well, hey,
2: if well, both of you are done Gavin, then I guess it's my turn. <laughs>
1: we'll stop talking for now
2: sure. all right well i don't have much to say because you know i just finally finished up the bathroom <laughs> cabinet build after the 18 months it took to do or something like that nice and with it being the warm weather and by warm i mean not like scalding hot like you're used to mark mm-hmm. uh, it's more or less just really warm i like i like actually being outside and be able to enjoy things although my family thinks that all i want to do is just stand in the window and stare at the neighbor behind us which is a whole other story
1: whoa tell us mm-hmm. about yeah. this neighbor matt
2: I'm just too. kidding. I just want to throw that out there. It's not like I it was
1: it's a, cool. It's a big dude. Uh, very yeah, exactly. Man. I'm like,
2: that guy scares me. I'm not going out there. You <laughs> <laughs> might want to like engage in conversation. I want to arm wrestle and that's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> but uh, one thing I've been doing is usually this time of year, I started thinking about small projects, things that are I can maybe in the hottest part of the day. I can come in. I have an excuse to get in the shop because it's super hot. and Nobody wants to be out there. I can knock a few things out, just have fun. But then, when it's finally cool enough to maybe go for a bike ride or something, I don't feel like I'm leaving something behind. So I get all the fun of hmm. inside and outside. So once again, I'm turning to my scrap pile and looking at some some little pieces here and there. Normally, the stuff that I probably should just throw away because it's too small to do things with. But I've been kind of like I have a video coming out this week that's going to be uh, me modifying a uh, simple. A bottle opener that has these little rubber grippies on it and i'm like you know what would look really cool on that not anything rubber <laughs> so nice. i took some uh some spare exotic woods that i happen to have picked up from who knows where and i decided just to play with it and to be honest it looks pretty cool and the problem is now of course some of our friends have seen it and they're like you want to
1: make that one of those for me And i'm like no not really <laughs> i'm good <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah
2: a one-off is nice cool. <laughs> so that's pretty much what i've been doing
1: very good. Uh, let's jump into what's new. This is where you guys send us some stuff, or maybe things that we found that were pretty cool. Now, I know you probably you guys have probably seen this one, and uh, Lloyd and Alex also made us aware of this. The uh, pencil sharpening video that that come across <laughs> this, your inbox. This is
3: awesome. I love <laughs> this.
1: this. Okay. Well, he says satire, of course, but this is pretty damn funny, and reminds me to stop taking woodworking so serious sometimes. Now, here's the thing. All right, this is a dude who's basically drilling down into the details of pencil sharpening as if it were i don't know maybe hand cut dovetails <laughs> right. you know what i mean like when people and we're talking <laughs> about hand cut dovetails metaphor <laughs> Yeah, like hand cut dovetails, but like I don't know the 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 one that just goes into every level of detail that makes it so overcomplicated. Then you just like you're yearning for the Roy Underhill video where he's like, yeah, 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 it fits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's the hipster that sharpener, awesome. <laughs> right? And, that, and that,
3: that's yeah. a sound clip for the future, right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was. There were no saws or chisels involved. That was just using his hands.
3: That's the Chuck Norris.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so here's the thing, though. I also thought that this was sad attire and then I did a little bit of digging and had a couple of people comment and say are you guys sure that this is actually satirical because if you look at the details there's a website called artisan pencil sharp or artisanal pencil sharpening.com where this guy will sharpen pencils for like 40 bucks And he has a business and books and all kinds of things. So I'm not so sure that this is as much of a satire as we think it is or it's so well done that this is like, I mean, I clicked on the PayPal link and they will charge you $40. Now, whether you get your pencil sharpened or not, I don't know, but there is something real attached to this. I just haven't really figured out exactly what it is.
3: That's awesome. This is a guy who takes his pranks very seriously. If
1: so, yes. And now here's the thing. I also did get a warning because I didn't watch every single word of it. I watched like the first few minutes and then the last few. There are a few curse words in it, so be aware. I had somebody watching this in front of their kids and I didn't know it and shared it on Facebook and then he didn't realize it and boom, boom. Uh, they heard some yeah. words they shouldn't have heard.
3: And it's the mother of all curse words. too.
1: It is. Yes. And there's other ones. I found another one in there besides that one. So just, uh, you know, put on the headphones or something or make sure there's no kids around when you're when well, watching. It, this.
3: It's interesting that you brought up Roy because it's actually filmed in Roy's school.
1: Oh, I was really? watching it going, what? that
3: looks really familiar. And sure enough, in the end credits, it was filmed on site at the Woodwright, uh, Woodright school. Really? Interesting. So Roy's involved in this somewhere. It can't be that real. I mean, come on.
1: Uh, Man, I don't know. I don't know. Well, if anybody knows the like truly knows the lowdown on this, let us know because I have I'm very curious now. I have my doubts about it, but I I might have 40
3: bucks just to just to just to see just to kiss away, frankly. (laughs) Between
1: between the combination
2: of talking about like 40 bucks for a pencil to be sharpened and then using the word artisanal, it reminds me of I joked around with my friends about this and because I heard an article about artisanal toast. And I said, we need to bring it to West Michigan because you're getting like about 5 to $6 a slice just for basic toast. And all you're paying for is somebody to put the toast in the toaster and then go from there.
1: Man, I should be charging Mateo a lot of money. Every morning, I make it's him a-, a peanut buttered artisanal piece of toast. And, there you go. And, and just you should
2: take- remind him, like, you know what? When, when you get old enough, here's a bill.
1: <laughs> here's your bill, son. All right, let's move on to
0: the so next one.
2: All right, we have this one that came in from Rick. Now, it's been a little while since I watched this one. It says, a surprising take on the idea of router rails. Well, it's not the router rails or what he might be thinking is the router rails that I think is a surprise on this one. The actual name of the video is Super High Gloss Table from Tree Limb Repurposing Reclaiming Prepper Woodwork, and then it gets cut off. <laughs> uh, this basically was a high gloss wood table that was created from a spalted tree limb that fell in, these, in this couple's yard during Hurricane Debbie back in 2012. And the thing that is really interesting about this, they're literally backyard woodworking, and it's a husband and a wife team. They've got the shop set up in the backyard. They took this limb. The guy does a really neat job of creating some, some really un- neat-looking jigs using just some two-by-fours mm-hmm. and all this stuff to prop up the, the limb itself. And then does some maybe not necessarily safe techniques on the table saw. So they work for him. But for me, I probably would have be. be, The good thing about being outside is nobody would notice the smell coming from my pants (laughs) and a couple of the moves that they do here.
1: Do you Do you remember enough of the router rails one to describe it?
2: I don't even know. But the thing is, as I'm watching this, they. Take the pieces, and in order to clamp up these boards that they've actually cut from from the limbs, they use their car as a clamp.
1: <laughs> Sounds like the Canadian woodworker. Mm.
2: <laughs> yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit that cause he, he he jacks it up, and then they take these large timbers and put them underneath there, and that's like forget the rails. They used a car as a clamp.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> what they did was they uh, had this big block of wood as the tabletop and attached some uh, supplemental rails to the outside edges and okay. if they put those rails so that they're kind of in the same plane Put it on a table saw face down and raise yep. the blade up till it made contact, and then he's just kind of maneuvering it back and forth over the table saw blade, cleaning everything that's that's low enough for the blade to hit it. So it's kind of a like that's what he was saying a modified router rails okay. setup using the table saw. Um, definitely stuff that makes you kind of look at it and go huh. But yep.
2: In fact, I'm at that point right now as you're describing it. It's about the seven and a half minute mark, folks. Yeah. Somewhere around there, you will see him using this. And it, Neat idea, but once again, it's a good thing it's outside because I would definitely be like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's one of those videos as well. If you really want to find like the cream of the crop in humanity, go read the comments on that post. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's it's kind of it's kind of funny and depressing at the same time.
3: Yes. Yes. Well, in continuing with the, well, I can't say our last episode. The last time we got sat down and recorded an episode, we've got a, a vintage video. But instead of the 1920s voice, we've got the "Hey kids, it's the 1940s voice. Support your <laughs> troops." Right,
2: that was my best. I don't know. Oh, you to Superman? So I want to go out and get some recycle stuff and help the troops out.
3: All right. Well, this is a a vocational film aimed at essentially getting kids into woodworking. Mm-hmm. So it kind of walks you through the different jobs a woodworker could have, and um, <clears throat> it was very much kind of a throwback to the Wonderful World of Disney in some respects, where they used to have those little commercials. Um, but it was—I uh, find it very entertaining because it talks about all the things you can do as a woodworker, and. Uh, Taken out of context, it's kind of sad because none of those <laughs> jobs exist today. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost none of them exist today, and the, the like. The one of the finishing lines of the whole thing is, is with woodworking skills. Yours, your what is it like your your potential is endless, and you can make a lot of money. It's like wow, <laughs> boy, have times changed.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: it's it's just another one of those fun black and white, good quality throwback videos. Yeah, it's
2: the cool. kind of video that people go. Those were the good old days. We need to repeat that, and I'm like, mm, I like color.
1: <laughs> I was watching a well, what was it? A, a routine from I think it was Louis. No, it might not, might not have been Louis. It might have been uh, last comic standing where they were talking about the good old days, and like the guy just had some really, really good points about what the good old, good old days were really like for most people. <laughs>
3: Yes. You know? Oh, <laughs> yeah,
1: what I, think you I think I saw that. I think I saw that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it wasn't so good when you really think about it. All right, let's uh, move through the recipes pretty quickly. I got one here from Mark. He says, really cool sawmill with some awesome machines. Figured I'd share. This is from uh, this is Carpentry.com and it's Hull Oaks Sawmill. And I took a look real quick, some great photography there. If you want to take a look at the, how they do things at this particular sawmill, it's about all I'll say, but the link will be in the show notes for you.
2: Oh, and this one came in from Corey. Uh, now, this is kind of neat because I know people are always asking for about new content and where can they find some great shows and stuff like that. And Corey says, I have not been successful at trying to make a side income from woodworking. And really, the, there is very little information I found to help with. So I decided to try something new. I went and started a podcast. Uh-oh. Gone and f- what was it?
1: What? Don't do that. I know. <laughs> you're going to
2: compete with us. And next <laughs> thing you know, we're out of business. Yep. Or we're, we're breaking your legs, getting you out of business. <laughs> Anyways, though, Corey goes on to say, I've gone and found people who are making their living through woodworking, and many of them are through my local woodworkers guild, and interviewed them for a podcast. So I'm hoping to create this as a resource for anybody interested in trying to make money with their woodwork. Now, the name of the show is the Craftsman, Craftsman, Craftsman's Road, and you can find that at Craftsman'sRoad.com. Well, of course, we'll have a link, into it, uh, link for it, and let's see, we already has one, two, three, four, five, six like six episodes up uh, i had a chance to listen to a couple of them and they are they're, they're, they're pretty decent um you you definitely see they're going for like a half hour to an hour long and it's just it's often fun to like listen to our fellow woodworkers talking about stuff that they're doing especially professionals that this is their livelihood and they seem to really know what they're doing so we want to mimic that
1: totally yeah
3: well that, that's probably going to change soon because Corey's contacted me about interviewing me so as far as they know what they're doing part uh, yeah, that's going to change. Okay, that's well, it. in
2: episode eight, just skip over that
3: one <laughs> if it starts with Shannon. <laughs>
1: there you go. Nice. And hey, if you get a chance, uh, what's his name? Corey? Corey, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Add a add a button at the top, Corey, that says like episodes or podcasts or something because it actually took me a while to figure out how to actually get an episode to listen to. Yes. You know, if you yeah. click on the buttons, it just changes the the header image and then you got to click again to actually get to an episode. So if you could just kind of get like some kind of archive button that I can quickly see all the different episodes that'd be awesome. Yeah,
2: um, what he said. I think you're just technically challenged, Mark. Is it, there an
1: issue? It might be. It could very well be. could be. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting old here, so.
2: We've got a, another video from
3: Andy and he did uh, a table bill that he's calling the fossil table. And this is uh, this is well worth your time. It's a fourteen minute long video That's and good. it basically um, since since we're critiquing people's Ooh. sites and videos, uh, Andy, <laughs> there there is a thing called an edit button. And um, Oh
1: see now you had to be mean about it. I was <laughs> Oh I was, Shannon. I was constructing that about <laughs> you.
3: Let me finish. The video is awesome. He puts the whole thing in like super fast motion. So it is – There's I I personally wanted to hear Benny Hill music behind it. I thought that would have been really cool. But the <laughs> table he builds is outstanding. It's beautiful. And there actually was a comment in on YouTube that's like, was there a technique you didn't use on this? And it's <laughs> so right because he, he does everything from um, bent lamination to steam bending to inlay to carving, miters, um, off 45 miters. He does – Banded miters, um, man, it's just nuts. There's so much goes into this table. He does like a pour on epoxy type finish to cover up the fossil on the top. Mm-hmm. But I just found it funny because there were moments that um, I saw a couple of moments in the hand tool sections where like he was, you know, when you first start using a plane, you kind of set it really, really shallow and you advance it slowly. So you start getting the cut. Well, like that was in there. And like him, Knocking the tape off the table and like rooting around on the floor to pick up the tape. That was all in there, but in really, really fast motion. I just found that really funny. So actually, now that I think about it, don't edit because that was really quite funny to watch those (laughs) little things. The stuff that like normally you would edit out, like, you know, when the dog runs into the shop and you end up throwing a toy with him. It was all there. It was just (laughs) really fast motion.
1: Sometimes people want to see all that.
3: It was just (laughs) really cool because you have – you really don't know what he's building. You know it's a table because it says it in the title. But you can't – it's it's a very um, contemporary design, so you, you really don't know how it all goes together. He starts out by laminating something, which you don't even realize he's laminating at first. You just see him gluing stuff up and then suddenly you see him flip it up and throw it into a form. are like, oh, OK. He's doing bit lamination. You're like, what like, what is that he's bending? Right. And then he goes somewhere and totally, entirely different and does something else. And then he starts like really cool technique of using – actually, I think it was his laptop. But he put tracing paper right on an image on his laptop. And trace the fossil right off the screen, which I thought, I don't know why I never thought of that. What a cool idea. So Dude, it's just,
1: can I tell you something about that? I did yeah. that. I did that in a video once and I got so much crap for that because everybody's like, what's wrong with your printer, man? I can't believe you're putting <laughs> tracing paper on your screen. Why didn't you just print it out? I'm like, because I don't want to waste a piece of paper. What's the problem? Shut up! Uh, but yeah, so at least I know I'm not the only person who thinks that that's a good idea.
3: <laughs> right. well, I got my so problem much is, is I would it. do it on my iPad and I would use like the stylus and I would just keep moving around underneath. <laughs> right.
1: What's going on? <laughs> nice. All right. Anyway, um, yeah, it's a
3: It's relatively new channel. I think it's only got a couple of videos there, but if this is indicative of what's to come, subscribe to that channel. It was a really cool build.
1: Unless you don't like watching videos that aren't edited.
3: Yeah. Oh, that. gosh. Those drive me nuts, oh. man. Do you know what I'll say? What was really <laughs> refreshing is the number of views on a 14-minute video. And I know we've talked in the past about how YouTube is like five minutes or, or pay the price. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it's just five minutes or really, really good content. Maybe that's my problem. That's it. I just need to create better content.
1: Better content or it just yeah. has to go faster.
3: <laughs> there we go.
1: Do everything faster. 800% uh, speed. That's it. Go. All right, let's move into the poll of the week by our buddy Tom Iovino at tomsworkbench.com. This week's poll is about repairing antiques and uh, Tom wants to know, have you ever done it? And there's a bunch of different answers and you can click those answers and uh, there's really not a whole lot here because Uh, I just posted it uh, like a couple hours ago. Uh, but you can go see the results of that, find out what your fellow woodworkers are doing in terms of uh, repairs and restoration. It's a good question because I think a lot of us are kind of, uh, whether or not we want to do repairs and restoration, family members and friends kind of just assume because we build furniture, we also know how to fix it. Um, yes. Which is not always the case, but I think we've all taken on that one or two jobs that we regret. <laughs> you know, like, oh, why did <laughs> right. I do this?
2: One or two, I wish I could keep it to just <sighs> that few.
1: yeah. Um, All right, so here's a new segment for the show. Now some of you may remember that uh, Matt and I sort of branched off and did a review show once in a while and we uh, just kind of did it in our spare time. Unfortunately, there's just not a lot of time to spare these days. So what we decided to do, because we have just we got a lot of DVDs to go through here and we want to continue to review them we thought we would just throw it in as a shorter segment here and include Shannon of course unless <laughs> maybe we just do the show and have Shannon like take a five minute break <laughs> would that be nice give a drink <laughs> uh, so yeah we, Alex needs you yeah so we decided to uh, to include it in the regular Wood Talk show and uh, it's not really going to be an in-depth review it's just going to give you sort of a heads up what you can expect from this particular thing and uh, hey it may not even be DVDs we might do downloads I mean DVDs Are becoming actually harder and harder to get these days. And this one is a good example. This is Finishes That Pop with our good buddy Glenn Huey. And yes, there is a sort of conflict of interest because I think we all know Glenn personally at this point. And yes, uh,
2: and I have no problem <laughs> berating him one bit. <laughs> which
1: actually, maybe that works against him now that exactly. we've we've met him. Uh, but yeah, Glenn's a really nice guy. Lots of experience to offer, and I think this video uh, really shows that. It's 44 minutes long, and it's purely focused on his method of getting that beautiful dyed popped grain look on tiger maple. Uh, the subject that he uses for this is a high chest of drawers made out of tiger maple and uh, goes through a lot. He goes through uh, preparation, sanding, pre-raising the grain, dye selection, preparation, application, and then I, I don't know if we should really spoil his methodology because that's why you would want to buy it in the first place, but right. he does use oils, uh, shellacs, and his primary finish is a shellac finish. Uh, shows glazing steps, and just basically his entire thing to get that eye-popping, amazing, awesome, uh, beautiful dye-popped grain that that people love so much. So I, I thought it was overall a very good video. Um, it, it's clearly singular focused on one particular technique, so you've got to be very interested in, in exactly yes. what he's doing. Um, yes. It's not necessarily a good general purpose kind of DVD, um, but overall I thought it was enjoyable, very informative.
2: Well, you know, I, I will admit when the we were at Woodworking in America, I ran into Glenn and this is how long this one's actually been sitting on our bench waiting for us to, to review it. And I was mm-hmm. talking about, you know, the content and I want to give him a heads up on all the things I was going to kind of stick him on and critique and everything else, which mostly had to do with physical features. But anyways, <laughs> though, I, I have to say that doing anything with dyes and especially dealing with shellac, I, again, it's out of my comfort zone. But when I watched this DVD even though he's doing everything by spring and I'm actually more than the the shellac and everything else by spring. I still was able to pull a lot of information out of this and I used it for Aiden's uh, bed build that I finished. And then also Mm -hmm. the bathroom cabinet. I used a lot of, I used dyes on that and then some of the techniques essentially that he talked about. And I was even able to incorporate those a a small amount into hand finishing the things. So again, it was one of those I was able to kind of take the information Get out of it what I needed and and use it in other applications.
3: Cool. Well, what was nice is he actually did brush on a dye too, and he did the drawer fronts. He showed how you know he didn't want to obviously dye the the maple sides. He wanted to leave the sides of the drawer natural, so he brushed on a dye on just the drawer fronts. And I found it interesting. He covered just the just the tails part. So it was a uh, was very cool, um, and it was nice that they didn't um, like speed up anything he you know when you're when you're spraying on it doesn't take that long so you actually got to see his spray technique in pretty good detail so if you whether you're real interested in dyes or period finish if you're interested in spraying application you can actually learn quite a bit from this
1: at least he didn't speed it up like that crappy video that other guy did
3: Great. Oh my god, that was horrible. <laughs> Although it would have been nice to have a lapel mic in that echo chamber that is his finish room, that yeah. got a little, that got a little rough. Yeah, it was, I was listening um, with headphones, and it was, it was a little harsh.
1: You know, and I, I do spray dyes a, a lot on on my bigger pieces too. And I was actually impressed by how how much he literally bathes this thing in dye. Yeah, Like there's no concern for drips or anything like that because he's he's literally bathing it and it's probably dripping all over the floor but it's all part of the, the saturation technique that needs to happen in order to get it to absorb properly. Um, so, so very, very cool. Um, you know, by the way, I should mention that this is no longer in stock in the shop woodworking store. It says out of stock but it looks like it's now part of their shop class uh, on demand setup. So whether, uh, I'm not really sure how all that works at this point but you can get like everything there I'm pretty sure for a low price or you can get that one particular video uh, which I believe I'm clicking on it now is $14.99 and I'm guessing that's just a digital download. Uh, So we'll give you the links for that if you're interested in it and if you want to learn to pop the grain with dye, uh, and get that classic look. I, I definitely think it's worth uh, worth looking into for sure.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I totally. You're, you'll you'll pull something out of it whether you use spray or anything else. It's it's a fantastic video. Yeah. And look def-
3: at it this way. I watched it after eleven o'clock at night in bed and didn't fall asleep.
1: Now that's saying something. Wow, there you go. Honestly, especially when it's Glenn. even the best woodworking videos will put my butt to sleep if I watch them too late at night. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's a
2: few that are coming up right now that it's a guaranteed, if you have insomnia, we've got a DVD for you.
1: Have we got the DVD for you. All right, let's get into kickback, rip through these real quick. The first one is from Faye, I suppose that's how you say that. Uh, I'd just like to add my two cents on the subject of getting kids into the into the workshop and having kids, yeah, I screwed that up. Uh, mm, getting kids into woodworking. kids in the workshop, what? yes. <laughs> whoa <laughs> that be could messy. get messy i hope you have the midwife i ready. thought uh, i thought pee on the floor was bad Uh, All right. one thing that we tend to forget as adults is that children's hearing is a lot better than our own and is responsive to different frequencies than adults. I remember when I was young wanting to help my dad and grandfather with projects, but as soon as the circular saw or chainsaw came out, I was gone. The noise of those particular tools just went straight through my head, almost to the point of causing pain. So if you want to use power tools around your kids, think about sticking both earplugs in and ear defenders on their heads. Great suggestion. I didn't even think Absolutely. about that. But the, I mean, I would definitely use ear protection, but I wouldn't even think about doubling it up because, yeah, they're, they're a heck of a lot more sensitive.
2: Yep. Whenever my kids came down, as soon as I turned on the saw, the hands went over the ears, their eyes got really big, and they would take like three or 400 steps out of the shop and away from me. So that totally when – when we received that one, I'm like, yep, then they're done that.
1: So why is it that when I'm like, hey, Mateo, don't do that, he doesn't hear me?
2: Oh, mm. uh, that's called selective oh, hearing. Selective. He learns that from his mom. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sweet. Oh, hey, uh, we have this one from Mike. And Mike says, when my daughter turned four, I made her a workbench to sit next to mine. Here's a pic. Well, you can't really see it right now because we're talking about it on audio. It's one of the it's downsides awesome. to audio. I'll put the leading. link there.
3: It's so good.
2: It's cool. So anyways, Mike goes on to say that she's six now and shares the bench with my three-year-old son. We haven't actually made anything, but they love puttering and dinkering around with the tools. The pleasure of driving in nails and cutting boards seem to be enough at this stage and having them in the workshop lets them get a familiarity with the tools and how to use them properly. And also reminds me to make safe choices. The best part is that I have a no temper rule well see now oh, i could never visit mike's shop forget that <laughs> <laughs> so the no temper rule is if either kid starts to lose their temper which is not uncommon with three to six year olds workshop time is over and we go back upstairs it makes the workshop time a peaceful experience and also prevents having an angry three-year-old chasing the sister around with a hammer
1: friendly, <laughs> good idea definitely wow good policy
3: All right. This comes from Jacob. He says, I enjoyed your kids' invasion show. I have a five year old that enjoys time with dad. I started with plastic toolkits. I think the first one actually had a toy hand plane in it. I also let her come down and hang in the shop when she wants. When she wants. Oh, I get it. Okay. Let her hang out in the shop when she wants, which ends up with more questions answered than work done. Although I did recently cut dog holes by hand on my bench top and she helped cut the last third of each hole to my surprise. I find that making things for mom brings my kids down faster than anything as they feel like they have something special for her. This has been anything from step stools to a bunny shaped napkin holder.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Totally. Yeah. A lot and of great napkin. feedback on that kids episode. Uh, I got one here from Clem, which is not feedback on the kids episode. He says, this is, uh, there's an accident due to what I think is a design flaw. The manufacturer is Bostitch. They normally make good stuff, but this is a real issue. I thought you may want to let your followers in on this. Spent two hours in the emergency room this Father's Day. Managed to fire an inch and a half 23 gauge pin nail through my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Seems the small gun does not have the safety plunger Uh, that the larger air nailers do, they've got a small lever behind the trigger. This makes it impossible, or I'm sorry, this makes it possible to discharge the gun in free air. My wrist was 18 inches away from the gun. Here's more news. The damn thing is still in my wrist. The emergency room did not have the proper staff to remove it. It may require a full-blown operation because it's close to major nerves and extremely close to an artery that lives there. I've got pictures, but a little bit too gross for Facebook. So sorry to hear about that, Clem. I have that exact Model that he's talking about, and it basically is just a double trigger safety. Uh, but he's right; most of the other nailers will have that little uh, spring-loaded dealy in the front, so that even if you push both of the things, uh, you can't get it to fire unless it's in contact with something. Hopefully, not your finger or anything on your body. Usually, a piece of wood. So interesting stuff. Wow. Now that that it seems like the safety feature is there, but not the one that he was expecting. You know, <laughs> uh, that's rough. That's really bad. Wow. Uh,
2: oh, I got weak in the knees just thinking about that one. Yeah, again. yeah. And Ooh. I don't,
1: I don't know enough about it to necessarily say it truly is a flaw, or maybe there's a manufacturing reason because of the small size of the pin nailer that they can't put that type of uh, the the additional guard at the tip. But uh, who knows? If anyone knows more about that, maybe uh, tell us why they have the double trigger safety as opposed to the other style that's used for the bigger ones. Okay, nothing in voicemail today. Nobody loves us. Let's move on to email. Uh, David says I've always been very interested in pieces that have intricate inlay work. While it's not a skill that you could put to use on every project, I've recently discovered while reading early editions of Popular Woodworking that you can interchange dyed epoxies for inlaid wood strips. Have you guys tried this and what are your thoughts? I think the darker color epoxies would look really neat and really pop off the neutral wood color. Uh, In one of your recent episodes, Shannon mentioned how easy it is to hand plane epoxy versus dried wood glue. So in filling the grooves with epoxy, I would be less concerned about finish prepping the surface. Uh, Also with the epoxy, you wouldn't have wood grain as with typical wood inlay. But I think it's uh, in the right project that it could be really cool. So, uh, you know, David, I also think it's really cool, but it definitely, you're absolutely right. It's gotta be the right situation because sometimes it just looks weird. Uh, It it definitely is not. plasticky. Yeah, I mean it's epoxy. Mm -hmm. It's resin. So you really have to have the right application for it. Um, But what I would recommend for you to look into is get the right epoxy. You want something that's very pourable. So West Systems epoxy is a great choice. If you just use like five minute epoxy, you're going to have air bubbles and all kinds of crap. Uh, Even with the West System, you have to be careful not to get uh, too many air bubbles. You might try to do something to like vibrate the surface to work out any bubbles or I've heard folks using a little bit of heat like a, a, a one of those heat guns or I don't know you want to take a blowtorch to it. <laughs> There's a little uh, torch just burn it up but I think people actually do that. Um, that quick heating will force the air bubbles out so that, that's one thing you do have to be careful of because you don't want to have to reapply it a second time just to get all those popped air bubbles that create a little uh, little defect there. Uh, the other thing to look into and I think we've mentioned this on the show is inlays uh, and that's a company that makes a sort of epoxy resin mixture uh, and it's got the stuff ground up into it that has color and all kinds of effects. So if you're looking for something that m- maybe you want a marble effect or just something more visually interesting than a resin with dye in it, uh, look into Inlace. And if you see what they make, then you might think of other ways that you can make your own. Maybe I've heard of people getting pen blanks, which tend to be made of all kinds of weird acrylics and and weird things. And you might be able to take like a, a rasp or a grinder or something and make your own powder that you can then mix with an epoxy and kind of make your own.
3: Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it's you know, it's cool stuff. I've only, but- I've only ever done this to like cover up. An issue Um, (laughs) never never is a decorative thing but like for instance cherry i've had wormholes or things like that and cherry also has those dark pitch pockets so i'll take you know some sort of dark dye dye some epoxy you gouge a little hole to make the wormhole a little bit bigger pour some epoxy in there and ta-da instant pitch pocket so um that worked great so i can't i can't imagine why it wouldn't be a cool decorative effect either
1: well, I think if you if you're doing something, I don't know, maybe whimsical and you need some color that you just aren't going to be able to get or an effect you're not going to be able to get with solid wood certainly and and he's right. It's so much easier. I mean, you just make the recess and pour the stuff in. There's no uh matching. It kind of takes the most difficult part of the process out of the equation. So, uh but That's yeah, cool. pretty cool. If you do anything with it, David send us some pictures.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, here's another email from David and I Assuming, I don't know. Maybe it's the same guy. Maybe he inadvertently is getting two questions answered. It's, I don't it's know.
1: also possible that there is more than one David. What? No. Um, I'm just, I don't it, know. Statistically. Maybe, maybe, guys. Keep an open know, mind how many here. letters see, are in the alphabet?
3: See, my oldest brother's name is David, so there can't be another one. This must – oh Yeah. You might so, be right. Hey, hey, bro. What's up? Um, <laughs> uh, he's currently in the milling process of making two craftsman-inspired bedside cabinets. I'm very fond of the look that you get with through tenons. What I'm having difficulty with is how to knock down the edges with a chisel and not get any chip out. So I think he's talking about that kind of pyramidal look on the end of the tenons. Yeah. I've sharpened my Narex chisels to 8,000 grit on my ceramic stones. They're sharp enough to remove hair on the back of my hand. Uh, I could build a sled to hold the pieces vertically on the router table and run them through with a chamfer bit. Yikes. But that seems very dangerous. On practice pieces, running the chisel with the grain is very easy to bevel the sides. I'm more concerned with the cross cuts on the end grain. How would you guys tackle this? Well, it just so happens there is a video that I created uh, back in 2011, I think, on creating even chamfers by hand using a block plane. That would be probably the easiest way I know of um, to do that. But if you've still got the chisel on your hand, um, you can still... Do it very easily. It's just a matter of skewing that chisel. So, if you're going to work across the grain on that wider section of the tenon, if you skew the chisel and work off the grain, it's kind of like, well, it's like using a skewed rabbit plane or something like that, where you're kind of working halfway between across the grain and with the grain. And if you work in from both sides, kind of work towards the middle. Uh, you don't have to worry too much about the spelching blowout on the end of the piece. But what I will do is not only skew the chisel, but I'll always um, – if say you've got the tenon piece kind of clamped vertically in a vise. I'll skew the chisel as I go across it, but I'll also move up off the edge of the shoulder. So I'm essentially the, – the, the vertical motion of the chisel is moving with the grain, but I'm also skewing it at the same time. So it's kind of a diagonal pass. And you get a very very clean cut that way. Um, if you're, you know, taking hair, if you're shaving with the chisel, your chisel is sharp enough. I don't think it's a sharpness issue, but <clears throat> what you just need to do is is work with the grain. And if you can't compromise and kind of work halfway across and halfway with the grain, that was that would be how I would do it with the chisel. It's kind of hard to describe um, over audio, so. Mm-hmm check out the the video, there'll be a link in the show notes that just shows you a a really good repeatable way to do it with a block plane. And uh, that should set you
1: up. Uh, I'll tell them one other way that you might do it. If you have a file or a rasp, this is something I've done a couple times where I'll actually work the bulk of it using the rasp, get it down to where I need it to be. And of course it's a little uneven, it's hard to make it absolutely perfect, but then you go to the block plane for that one or two last finish passes to clean it up, make it nice and crisp and you're there within seconds, and the great thing is the rasp, as long as you're going with the grain, uh, which is very easy to do on a tenon like that, uh, you're not really going to have any uh, problems with anything spelching or, or blowout at the end of the joint. So, um, And those last two passes with the block plane, there's really nothing to tear out. You're just kind of doing finish passes at that point. It's a good application of coarse, medium, and fine. Well done, Mark. Oh Well, thank you. Uh, Matt? <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: I was thinking about <laughs> spelching and blowout, both issues I had over the weekend after a certain amount of food. <laughs> um, So so this last question came in from Alex, and Alex asks, I'm not a stranger of buying expensive (laughs) tools since I bought a Domino, and I have a few neat Veritas tools that I quite enjoy, but there are a few hand tools that I I just don't get the prices. One example I think of is a Starrett sliding bevel gauge. I can't find those at a big box store for – I can find those at a big box store for $15 at most. Andy, and Alex, I'm pretty sure you're not finding the stare there, uh, maybe a stare knockoff. Yet Veritas sells one for about $50 and stare for over $100 on the Lee Valley website. As I said, I get paying a premium for a neat hand plane or a chisel, but for those tools, is there really a difference between a $15 bevel gauge and a $100 one? There better be. Yeah, exactly. Um, it better <laughs> totally be worth it, and I should probably get a rebate. No, not really. Anyway, so so, so is there a difference between an an inexpensive bevel gauge and, and say, an engineer-grade version, which I consider the Starrett's to pretty much kind of be uh, up in in that that quality? Sure. (coughs) So uh, I I think there absolutely is one. Now, does the average user who only grabs maybe this bevel gauge once in a while, are they really, really going to notice this, say, if they're not an engineer? Probably not as much as you think. But for me, one problem I've run into with an inexpensive bevel gauge is that dang locking mechanism. Yep. Oh my gosh, that thing. I had an old one that I, I picked up at one of the, the big box stores. It was a plastic handle. I'm convinced that it was plastic Uh, a a plastic blade that was colored to look like it was metal. And then it had that stupid wing nut that was supposed to actually lock it down. And let me tell you something. Every time I tried to transfer an angle from either a plan or I was duplicating uh, another project or simply I wanted to check the angles of the cuts that I just made, I guarantee the second I laid that bevel gauge in position, supposedly locked all the way down with that locking mechanism, it moved on me Mm. and it drove me insane. So that to me is the biggest thing. Typically with these inexpensive gauges, you know, they just have the worst locking mechanism ever made. In fact, I'm convinced that they're like, "Um, if it's above this, if it's below this certain price line, put the super crappy one on. In fact, we'll go out and get you some more crappy ones. So you (laughs) put that right on there and you can listen to them screaming from miles around. A lot of
3: times they have like a little knob that you twist that as you twist and tighten, it actually changes the angle.
2: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
3: What's the point?
2: Yeah, because there's been times like I'll have it like on a gate on on a table, and I'm, I'm I'm looking right at it, and I'm looking at the thing I'm trying to reference, and you yeah you can see it like that last bit. You're like, okay, it's locked, and suddenly so boop, it's off now by a half degree or a full degree, and that will really mess you up depending on what exactly it is that you're doing. So when it comes to certain tools, obviously to me, you know, I don't use them that often, but marking and measuring tools, they for sure are one of those things that you want them to be reliable because. Uh, you're counting on them to make sure that things fit the way they're supposed to.
1: Yeah, and you know, for me, it's it, it's one of those things where you see a diminishing return. I think once you get to like the Veritas level, I don't think the gain from the, I guess what he said, I don't even know the exact price, but let's say it's $50. I don't think the gain from 50 to to $100 stare it, star it is as big as the gain or a from $400 the, Vesper. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's <laughs> as big. Then that's just bragging rights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although um, those are pretty. But I don't think right. it's as big of a gain as you get going from the $15 Home Depot to the Lee Valley level Uh, because for something that you use so frequently, at least for me, I've got a a couple of gauges that I use on every single project, not just for measuring, but I I use it for tool setup. I want to make sure that it's absolutely square every single time and as many times as I'm going to tighten and loosen that thing, if it's not milled well and engineered well, eventually it's going to go out of square and I'm too lazy to constantly check it all the time, so I want to make sure that I can trust it, and that's why, for me, spending a little bit extra gives me that little uh, insurance policy that I need to make sure that my work is accurate as I go forward. But I've, I've had one of the, it um, wasn't a sliding bevel gauge, but it was just like a, a little, uh, what do you call it? What am I thinking of?
2: Like a, a square?
1: Yeah, just a little like square. Like,
3: yeah, yeah, combo a, square type deal? Exactly,
1: combination square. and uh, And I thought it was square, and I was setting up my tools with it and thought they were square. And I'm like, things are just not coming out right. It's, it's matching up with my square. But when your square isn't square, nothing's square. Yeah,
2: it, no. it's, it's, it's <laughs> you know? a bad situation to be yeah. in. You're all all over. The angles are everywhere. You know, another thing is not only is it the, the locking mechanism too, but the, the blade or even the body itself, again, depending on what it is, uh, the, the inexpensive ones, it's inexpensive for a reason. So you're not necessarily looking at a good metal. And those blades can easily be all over the place. Just like you're describing with the, uh, the, the sliding, uh, uh, and they're, they're T-square so or something. thin that they actually flex.
3: Yeah. Like there's been times
2: i you a pencil or knife along it, the blade is actually flexing on you. I remember like exhaling once and watching it start like moving on me. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't necessarily have to go all brand new either. I have a,
3: a Stanley number 18. Um, there, I just did a quick check. They're on eBay for, uh, everywhere from $14 to $45. Um, they're the, I think it's the 18 Stanley number 18. Yeah. It's got a little kind of wing nut looking thing at the base that you use to, to tighten it. And it is rock solid. It's the nice. one bevel gauge I've been using for five years or so. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to spend a fortune, although I wouldn't be, su- I'd be surprised if some of these $15 ones, when the bid actually closes, it's probably going to be a lot more than that. Well, look, here's one for buy it now for $20. Go now. Get it now. It's there great, you go. It's a good bevel gauge.
1: Here's the other thing. If, if budget really is an issue and, and maybe the eBay thing isn't working out for you, if you can, take a square that you know to be fairly accurate. Take that with you to the store. and If you yes. have to buy something at the big box store, Check them all, you know, grab a bunch of them, sit there, tighten them, loosen it, tighten it again, loosen it, and see how well it's holding its setting. Uh, see if it is, you know, when if you're looking at something that does have a square aspect to it, make sure it truly is 90 and you might luck out and get one that does work pretty well and then yes. you saved yourself a bunch of dough. But check it periodically just to make sure that it's staying that way as the parts wear over time. Um, that's not, so I don't I don't want to make, a, you know, the statement that you can't get a good square or right. anything at no. at, you know, But but just make sure you're checking it and, and get the get the best one in the pack first and start out on the right foot.
2: Yeah, there you go. And the
1: other thing is, if you are going to do that at the store, don't be that person that's like,
2: nope, and then throw it over your shoulder. Nope, not this one either. <laughs> no good. <laughs> and then when no they go, what are you doing? They're like, Mark, Matt, and Shannon said I can do this. <laughs>
1: Sir, these are bad. Yes. You need to throw these <laughs> away. I would like away. you to
2: take these back and I would
1: like a discount for helping you find these. <laughs> for shame oh, that you
2: sell such crappy merchandise.
1: Oh, good stuff all right, well, let's go through the ways that you can support us because I know you've been wondering sitting here this whole time, listening to stuff going, you know this is great Absolutely. information, but listen
2: like, to this information we're giving them, but people yeah. want
1: to throw money at us. How can I help is what people are wondering. Uh, you can help us with a recurring donation. Just go to woodtalkshow.com. Look in the left hand column and click some of the links there for a very small amount uh, monthly donations or a single donation. And we'll mention your name at the beginning of the show. You can also go to twwstore.com and order a Woodtalk t shirt, which is absolutely beautiful, very well made. I think you'll enjoy it. So go buy one. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes. Just look us up in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews and uh, give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating that we like. And uh, we'd like to thank Mav8585, Hondros Han, and uh, something with a bunch of symbols. Really is nonsense. Just a bunch of symbols. That's
2: probably what the guy that was sharpening the pencils, that's his name.
1: (laughs) It must be him, (laughs) yeah. Uh, But yeah, I was going to read one but I don't feel like it. Uh, Matt, how about you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here.
2: All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question or a topic suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com.
1: So good. So awesome. So good. Love it. people are probably going to
3: wonder why we didn't hit the edit button on this episode.
1: Most likely. <laughs> Too bad. Because you know why? Because we're lazy. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. See ya.
2: Yeah.